0: Hi, friends. Thanks so much for downloading this message from Spark Church. I need to make a quick correction. I misspoke in the message. And the person who did the fundamental work on attachment is John Bowlby, not John Bowles. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy the message. Grab your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 15 if you would. And we're going to continue our series in Genesis. Uh, with the story of Abraham and the covenant and the calling. Now, if you have not been here or this is your uh, first or second or third, fourth time to spark, we've been going through Genesis and all of the talks are still online. So if you missed a couple of them or want to get caught up on what it is that we've been talking about, um, please go to the website, download, and check out those older MP3s. Today we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 15, and I'd like to share with you some thoughts regarding covenant versus contracts, covenant versus contracts. This story that we're going to read initiates one of the most familiar things in the biblical narrative and story and sets the foundation for a lot of what's going to come, not only throughout the rest of the Old Testament, but even what happens all the way with Jesus and Paul all the way through the New Testament. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to read this passage. We're going to highlight a couple things, but then what I'd like to share with you is a different way or, or a way of thinking and seeing and reading these stories and these passages that hopefully will radically transform if you've already had kind of a skewed perspective on what a covenant is. I'm hoping that this will help to set some groundwork for what is a covenant and why is it such a big deal and what are all these things that are going on with this story. So let's start with the story. And then so let's see if we can help uh, illuminate a couple things for how to read these stories, how to read these promises. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. It's another way of saying I am your protection and I'm, I'm going to be a blessing to you. But verse two, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a goat Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Verse 17. When the sun had set... And darkness had fallen a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates the land of the Kenites the Kenizzites Cadmonites Hittites Perizzites Rephaites Amorites Canaanites Girgashites and Jebusites The end of Genesis chapter 15 Now If you have been traveling with Danielle and I for a little while, many of you have heard about this covenant cutting ceremony. Uh, He takes some animals, which, you know, for some of you, it's like first glance at, oh, heifer, goat, you know, this is going to be like some cooking show. This is going to be great. It's going to be some sort of feast, and meal. And if you read the biblical stories, it's amazing because anytime God does something amazing and great, it's like kill something and eat it, which is like my favorite kind of celebration. So if you have anything good that happens, this is why we have food here. But if you have anything good that happens, just say you're biblical and kill something and eat it because that's like kind of the main story and the main motif that happens throughout the scriptures But this story is different. Abraham cuts the pieces and then a smoking fire pot flaming torch passed through them. And if you want more in-depth study on what that is, uh, we'll be doing some Bible studies later and sharing a little bit more about what exactly is going on and the message that God is saying symbolically by passing through the pieces. This kind of covenant was actually very well known in the ancient world. Um, We have documents from other civilizations where two armies have come together and they're going to make a covenant with each other. They're going to make an agreement with each other. And in order to make that agreement, they say you're going to grab, instead of the animals listed here, a goat, a puppy, a fallen soldier, and list of other animals you slice them into and you pass between the pieces. So if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about that, we'll be talking some more about what's really going on. And for those of you who've been to Israel with us, you've heard that story. But today what I want to do is share with you a way to think about covenant, and a way to think about what's really going on here. For those of us who are distant from the scriptures, distant from the stories that happened in both in time and in space and in culture, reading things like this is where most people who are unfamiliar or a little weirded out by the Bible go, wait a second, what's going on? This is There's blood, there's cutting of animals, there's walking in the blood, there's things that are just unfamiliar to us. So what I want to do is share with you a different way to think about the stories that you read, because this is not the only covenant that is going to come up throughout the rest of your biblical narrative. There's going to be other covenants. So let's think about how to read these passages. The word for covenant in the Hebrew is breit, and breit actually means to cut. In fact, when Abraham cuts the animals, this is where we get the idea or the word, the colloquial in our English, let's cut a deal. The cutting is What makes a covenant and the word has all sorts of deep rich meanings It can mean an agreement which can be verbal or other, otherwise But it can also mean like an alliance like you and I are now bonded together towards some sort of goal or some sort of end but ultimately at the foundation of it is something is now happening between us between the parties that are making this covenant that wasn't there before There's a relationship that is being formed. There's a bond that is happening There is something where two souls are coming together in a very, very special kind of relationship. And that's what happens in this story. Now, a covenant, if you're taking notes, essentially has three main things. And the fullness of a covenant includes all of these it includes terms, it includes symbols, and then it includes a bond. There are terms of the covenant or terms of the relationship, terms. There are symbols, which is like the cutting of the the animals and the walking through. And then ultimately, foundationally, there is a bond. Now, what are terms? Terms are... Things that you agree to or disagree to. Now, this is one version that has been going around the internet for a little bit of a while. It's called application to date my daughter. And it includes all sorts of things like social security number, um, how many parents do you have, um, what church do you attend, uh, what does the phrase don't touch my daughter mean, um, and includes all sorts of other kinds of things. It goes into deep depth into how you are going to apply to date my daughter, and thank you for submitting your application. It's going to take four to six years to process. Please don't call us. We'll call you kind of a deal. This is what's known as terms. There are things that you are going to agree to, things that I'm going to agree to in this situation, things that only you're going to agree to, and I may agree to them, but this is is what we would call terms. These are things that are listed out in addition to terms, there are things that are called symbols. Now, if you were to do, let's say, a business deal or make some sort of arrangement, you would write up terms. You would put those down on a contract. But perhaps, depending upon your culture, depending upon who you're doing business with, there might be some sort of symbolic action or gesture. Let's say going out to dinner. You're going to shake hands. You're going to open a bottle of champagne. You're going to do something together to celebrate the thing that has happened. So we have terms... Things that you're going to agree to, things that I'm going to agree to, items that we are going to take care of. But then there's also the celebration, the symbolism. But that alone, if it's just terms and if it's just symbols, does not a covenant make. What makes a covenant is when those terms and when those symbols are deeply connected to something underneath it all which I will call a bond, a relationship, where the two souls have come together. It's no surprise that in the scriptures, when it talks about a covenant, the covenant image or picture or metaphor that is used most often is the picture of marriage. Why? Because in a marriage... You have terms, whether it's a DJ contract, it's the vows, uh, the things that you say, and whether they're personal written vows like, I will love you until the stars don't shine anymore, kind of a deal, or the traditional vows, which, you know, tell death to us, pardon in sickness and in health, you know, for richer, for poorer, hopefully more for richer, and not for poor, kind of a deal. Those are the terms. But then if you are getting married, you know that it's not just the terms. There's something deeper behind that. What's behind that? There are the symbols, the celebration, the wedding, the white, the rings, the cake, the priest, the minister, the flowers, the flower girl, all of that. All of those things mean something. And those symbols put together make up the next step. Because if you just were to go and sign pieces of paper, there's something missing to the fullness of what a marriage is. So you add things like symbols, celebration the tradition. But if you were to just do those two things, you would be missing out on something that is ultimately, fundamentally what a relationship is. Because behind that is a bond. Not, not that bond, this bond. Sorry. This is disclaimer time. I recognize that this is going to be a completely inadequate metaphor for what it is that I'm trying to communicate. Does anybody know what this molecule is? (laughs) We have some geeks in the room, so I figured somebody might know. What is it? No, no, that Oxycontin, I think that's the drug. This is is the hormone oxytocin. (laughs) Close. (laughs) Uh, Very close. Nice, Jesse. Nice. (laughs) This is the the chemical hormone, oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is um, something that I I sometimes teach to teenagers because when you experience a relationship with somebody else, when you uh, kiss, when you have sexual relations, when a mother breastfeeds a child, this hormone is released that causes you to bond with the other person. So even deep at the chemical level, so uh, psychologists tell us, there's something very, very real going on that pulls two souls together into one. So a, a disclaimer again. I recognize that this molecule is going to be completely inadequate to describe what is ultimately going on in the relationship, but it was kind of the best that I could do. It was the best metaphor that I could think of, and it sounds like Oxycontin. So um, it's, <laughs> it's, nice. <laughs> it's nice and close. Uh, so what is ultimately going on in a covenant, though, is much deeper much more mysterious, much more profound, much more spiritual, we can only describe what's going on through terms and symbols and metaphors. And I think that's one of the ways in which we read these stories that can, ver- that can help us. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the terms or the symbols as we read through that Genesis story. It's like the animals falls into a deep sleep. There's blood there. There's walking through the blood. And we are caught up so much in the terms and the symbols of what's going on. It is my hope that as we read through this story, when we think about covenant, when we hear the word covenant, we think, oh, wait a second. These things that they are doing are representative of something much deeper, much more profound, much more mysterious, much more spiritual, much more real than we could ever find words for. So the very best that we can do is to put metaphors and symbols and words around it. Does that make sense? The language that we have, the symbols that we use, the terms that we come up with are inadequate ultimately to describe what is fundamentally going on between the two. So as you read the stories of covenants, whether it's Noah and the rainbow, or it's Abraham and the cutting, whether it's communion, which is also another covenant, when you read those things, My hope is that we don't just think about or get distracted with the symbols and the terms because there's something much deeper going on, and that's the bonding relationship that's happening. Now, why is this important to understand? I think this is important to understand because there are so many of us, and I grew up under this, and I sometimes have tendencies to think this way, that the way to think about how to get to that relationship is in this direction, you start with the terms, the agreement of what it is that you're supposed to do and then what I am supposed to do. Then after we get that done, if we're okay on, on the yeses and the noes and the thou shalts and thou shalt nots, if we do that, then we can get to the ceremonial piece, which is the baptism or the church-going services or you know, those kinds of things. And then if we get all of those things right, then then we will be in right relationship or covenant bonding with God. I hear this over and over and over again through cultural conversation, through critics of Christianity, through people who have grown up in the church, that if I can only get this part right, this is what I really need to focus on. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to attend to. Oh, I I messed up here. I fell short here. And we talk about, this is what I need to do in order for me to get to here. Because if I mess this up, if I mess up the terms, then I think my relationship, my bonding, whatever connection that I have with God is in jeopardy. And I would like to suggest to you, I think that is absolutely backwards of what's going on in the scriptures. If you read carefully, what's really going on is something profound and mysterious and deep is happening between you and the creator that happens first and this deep abiding mysterious spiritual connection that God makes with you comes first doesn't matter what you do it doesn't matter what terms you agree to it doesn't matter what symbols you have. that is what happens first the grace of God the love of God his beloved yearning for you happens first And he covenants himself with you. He calls you. He connects himself with you. He bonds himself to you. By the way, now that we've bonded, let's celebrate. And let's do something that celebrates and honors and signifies what it is that has already happened. Which is then, for our tradition, communion, baptism, church, etc. I'm doing these things because... I have this fantastic, amazing covenant with God. And by the way, since I have this relationship and I'm so deeply connected to this God, I want to do everything I can to stick to the terms. But it doesn't happen backwards. It happens with the bond first. Does that make sense? Are you with me? This is what's known as grace. This is what's known as love. This is what's known as covenant. And I hear so frequently and so often, if I mess this up, then this is in jeopardy. My relationship with God is in jeopardy. Doesn't work that way. This happens. Nothing will change that. Sure, we may fall short on some of the terms, Sure, we may get some of those terms wrong. Sure, we may fall short. But that doesn't mean that this is broken. It just simply means that we are not following through with the terms. There is a huge difference between somebody who identifies himself first as a sinner, who is working so hard to try to be a saint, Versus somebody who recognizes that they themselves are already a saint, meaning that they are beloved by God. And every now and then, they'll do something sinful. A radical difference between those two. So, let's sum up. What is this? Let's see if we can put some points around it. A covenant says that the relationship is the starting point. It's the foundation of everything that we do and everything of who we are. But a contract says the relationship may be an ending point or result. If you take care of all these terms, if you follow all my rules, if you follow all of my decrees, if, 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 then we might be in a relationship. That's a contract. What we're talking about is covenant. You are already in deep relationship with God. You are already deeply beloved by him. So a covenant says, because we are in a relationship, therefore we now need to take care of these terms. It's because we are in a relationship. A contract says, well, if we're in a relationship, if we are, and I'm going to test and see by how you do the terms. And if you don't do the terms right, then I don't know if we are in a relationship. In a covenant, your identity who you are, the very core essence of your being is absolutely certain and clear. But in a contract, your identity is uncertain, and it's really just contingent upon how you do the terms. In a covenant, what is fundamental at the base of your soul, spiritual, and psyche is safety, and now you have meaning and purpose. You identify with creator of the universe. But in a contract, very insecure, I'm not quite sure. Where are we? Then you try to work legalistically to try to get to attain that relationship. And ultimately, as many of you know, if you're an employed in a job that you just absolutely can't stand, there is no ambition to pursue. You're just doing the terms. I've told this story before, but it just so illustrates this point brilliantly many years ago, a friend of ours, whose daughter, I believe, was seven or eight at the time, told a big fat lie. And she got caught in a big fat way. And the daughter comes in tears with all the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment that you would imagine, you know, a seven or eight year old would have. I just lied and now I just got caught. And the father of uh, our friend, the father of this daughter, I'll never forget He got down on his knees, looked her in the eye, and he said this, whose daughter are you? And who am I? Now, I've been in youth ministry for a long time, and I've heard parents say, what is wrong with you? Why did you do that? Don't you know better? These kind, you know, come on. We've all done and said those things, and we're human, But what I loved so much about this approach of this friend of ours, he didn't start with the terms. He reminded her of the bond. Who are you? You're my daughter. And I am your father. And don't you ever forget it. Now, because you are in this relationship of ours, we don't lie. (laughs) And then he got to the terms. But he started with the relationship. Oh, this is so brilliant. And I think if we can understand that this is what's going on in the biblical story and understand that that's how God is asking us and calling us to live and work and breathe with one another and with him, this could radically change everything. There's some indications of this. For those of you in psychology, there's these people named um, John Bowles and Mary Ainsworth, and they've done some work around the idea of attachment. Now, attachment is this theory that suggests that very, very early on in a child's life, there's a bond that happens and a connection that happens there. So so they did some experiments, and one of those experiments was to watch children when they get hurt and how their parents responded to the children when they get hurt. Now, some traditional conventional thinking around this psychology would think that if a child got hurt, you would want, in order for the child to become independent, allow the child to kind of grieve and get over their hurt, their skinny or whatever it is. So we give them some distance. But what these uh, psychiatrists noticed is that as the child grew and grew and grew, and there was less and less attachment that was going on during those times, the exact opposite happened. The child was unable to cope with the hurt, cope with the pain, and then unable to actually become independent. It was only when... You picked up the child, held the child, connected, created a bond and an attachment with the child that allowed the child a secure and safe place through which to become independent. And this is something that I've been um, thinking about with my own life and my own journey and thinking about with the kids that I work with. And there are different kinds of ways to think about attachment, anxious, avoidant, and secure. And the fundamental, there's, a, there's all sorts of reading that you can do on these, a lot of reports. But fundamentally, what they're suggesting is children, and by the way, adults that have a secure attachment, have the greatest chance of having a healthy, individualized launching pad to become everything that they feel like they're called and gifted to be. This is the difference between pointing out in a child the things that they are doing wrong, Versus starting with, whose child are you? Whose child are you? See, covenant always starts with this bond and this relationship. Covenant, like attachment, therefore, is the whole foundation of the story. Our identity, our purpose and meaning, the commandments and laws, and our discipleship. Everything. The reason why this is so important in the scriptures, the reason why covenant comes up in these stories, the reason why we have these ceremonies and these symbols, the reason why we have these terms is because all of these things are pointing to something that is deep and foundational to everything that's going on in the scriptures. So when you read about the prophets, when you read about the Psalms, when you read about Jesus and discipleship, when you read about all of those things that are happening, they are founded on this fundamental idea that you and I, God and you, are in this deep, bond together, this deep relationship that cannot be described. It is impossible to describe. So we do our best with metaphor. So we do things like cut animals to describe what is going on in this relationship. We'll throw up the rainbow to show you how deep this relationship, it's a symbol of this relationship. And then there's the covenant of the Ten Commandments. Dave, I have a video here. I don't know if you have the audio going on here. But the question is, what's going on with the Ten Commandments? Why Ten Commandments? Here's one explanation. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15. Oh. Ten, Ten Commandments for all to obey. Now, this is Mel Brooks' interpretation of why are there Ten Commandments. Um, I just thought I'd throw that in there because I knew I was going to be heavy, so you needed something. It's always good to throw in a little Mel Brooks video clip there. Why the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments often are seen, listen, only as terms. And Ten Commandments are thrown around in our culture as things that you are to do and things that you are not to do. Obviously, thou shalt, thou shalt not kind of a deal. But we have to see the Ten Commandments differently. We have to think about what's going on here differently. Remember what's come through. Remember the fullness of the story. Remember how God has saved his people. Remember how he is going to be their God, and he's going, they are going to be his people. Remember how he's bringing them together, restoring the relationship. The the thing that is ultimately missing is that deep connection with God. Now, What's so fascinating is I think the way in which we even enumerate the commandments has illuminated for us that we think about things very differently. Did you know, and you can look this up on Wikipedia everywhere, there are different numberings of the Ten Commandments. Did you notice this? It's hard to read here. This is a Talmudic, which is of the Jewish line, and there's other in the Catholic traditions have the commandments. They don't start with thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Do you know what the other set of commandments starts with? This is commandment number one. I am the Lord your God. The other commandments start with, you shall have no other gods before me. Why is it that we, in our tradition, have picked up on the Ten Commandments to say that this is the first commandment? When the commandment actually starts with a bond, relationship. Isn't that so beautiful to me? So next time you read through Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5 and you think about the Ten Commandments, if you think about them only in terms, you may be missing out on something much more profound, much deeper, much more meaningful. In other words, a way to say this is do not mistake the terms of the covenant as the covenant. Do not mistake the terms of the covenant as the covenant. So next time you take communion, are we doing it just simply as terms? Or are doing it because we are already in deep relationship with God? I hear this um, in our tradition a lot. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know, kind of a deal, you're not allowed to take communion, all, all those kinds of things. But I sometimes wonder, and this is just a question, are we not all created in God's image? Are we not all, does, does God not already extend his love and his grace to each and every one of us? And maybe there's something deep and profound already happening there, and we just simply need to be awakened to that. So, covenants versus contracts. So the question is this. <sighs> whose child are And who's your daddy? Who's your father? If covenant relationship is the most central value, if this is true, or rather since this is true, that the bond and the relationship that we have with God is the most central thing, I guarantee you, we would start to see everything radically different. What sin is, what holiness is, what salvation is, what peace is. Sin is not just those things that you do have broken the terms. Sin is actually being distant, and moving away from relationship with God. Holiness isn't doing everything right the way it's supposed to be. Holiness is being drawn so close in intimacy with who God is that everything else just fades. Salvation is being saved, not from doing the terms wrong, but having that bond marred or broken. Everything changes. So, A covenant is a bond that is expressed in the symbols and the celebrations. And from that, we exemplify those terms of the agreement into this world. When I was taking notes on this, I was uh, on my phone. And you know, autocorrect sometimes can be the most irritating thing. Yeah. So apparently my dictionary didn't have the word covenantal in the phone so this is what it auto corrected to and I just thought that was absolutely beautiful I just kind of sat and looked at my phone let's covenant all let everything that we do every story that we read every term or symbol that we we discover in the scriptures be filtered through and understood That at the very foundation of all this is this deep love and relationship and grace that God has, this bond that he has with you. You can call it attachment. You can call it a bond. You can call it a relationship. You can call it an allegiance, an alliance, whatever it is that you want to call it, all of those words plus however many thousands more we can come up with. That's what's happening at the start. So don't ever let anybody tell you that you're doing things wrong. Or just make you feel bad because you're missing out on the terms of the agreement. Remind yourself that those terms flow out of and come as a result of you and God bonded together. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for SPARK and I bless you for the stories and these celebrations and these symbols. God, may we be still and know you May our hearts be bonded closer and closer and tighter to you and with you. And may any shame or guilt or struggle with the terms that we have, God, be fully alleviated as we recognize and realize our place in our relationship with who you are. pray this in your name.